It's just crazy how wildlife just thrives when they're given the opportunity. It's a brand new episode of the Fowl Life's Midwest series with Joel Clayfish. And the Wisconsin waterfowl guru is joined by guests Brad Heidel of Delta Waterfowl and Jack Klobuchar of the Fowl Life Midwest Pro Staff. Does it get better than Wisconsin when you're talking about chasing waterfowl? I don't think it does. You hear this term calendar birds. They need to go south to find water and food. And then they need to be building energy and fat reserves so they can make that trip back north in the spring. Hunters as a group vote and participate in government less than everybody else. You know, you don't see young people there. And those are the people that are going to be hunting for the next 60 years. Travel Wisconsin, Benelli, The Provider, and Secure It bring you this edition of the Fowl Life Midwest Series with Joel Clayfish. The Fowl Life's Midwest Series begins now. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Fowl Life Podcast Midwest Series. I'm your host, Joel Clayfish, coming to you from the great state of Wisconsin in the heart of the Midwest. In the state line area to the south, we've got Illinois, Michigan, up north, Minnesota, Iowa, all these great waterfowl spots. And we got some absolutely fantastic guests for the show today. Really jacked about Brad Heidel, Senior Marketing Director for Delta Waterfowl, and of course, Jack Klobuchar. You're going to see him on the next season of The Fowl Life as we feature Travel Wisconsin and the state line area in the Midwest on uh, some of our hunts here while The Fowl Life crew, including my good bro, Chad Belding, Anna V, Tom Rasheen, all those guys uh, were here for what turned out to be an absolutely incredible visit. We went and Chad Belding put on a hairnet, not even joking about this, put on a hairnet and a beard net and made cheese curds for Travel Wisconsin, which was so cool. We were at Wando's for a University of Wisconsin Badgers game. We had phenomenal seats for that. We got to talk to William Davidson, great, great, great grandson of William Davidson, of Harley Davidson at the Harley Museum. I mean, if you want to talk about packing a lifetime of experiences into 10 days, that's what we did with the Fowl Life crew that was here in the Midwest and travel Wisconsin. And if after that visit, you don't have a reason to get to Wisconsin to waterfowl hunt, experience the culture, the phenomenal cuisine, we were down at Bark River Lanes for just an absolutely awesome fish fry and hometown hospitality and the people of this great state will welcome you from anywhere. This is about as good as it gets. Brad Heidel, Delta Waterfowl, does it get better than Wisconsin when you're talking about chasing waterfowl, uh, chasing delicious food and having amazing experiences? I don't think it does. Um, I grew up here. I spent almost my entire life here in Wisconsin. Absolutely love it. Can't say enough about this state. It's absolutely gorgeous. You know, one of the things that I still don't understand to this day is when Chad and the gang was here, I got two questions for you. One, did you have an old fashioned? Oh, I think that's always a question for everybody. If you come to Wisconsin, you have to have an old fashioned. Absolutely. And my, what I can't fully understand or comprehend, it just goes to show you what a waterfowl guy Chad is, is you were here for opening weekend of deer hunting in Wisconsin, <laughs> which is like a, ne- a state holiday. 
and no uh, one got in a tree stand that weekend. No, that's true. I'll be honest with you. I think that's the first time uh, since I started hunting that I literally did not hunt one day of the gun deer season. But I'm going to tell you, it is a conundrum. It is really a conundrum for waterfall hunters because the best time to waterfall hunt in the state of Wisconsin is literally during the gun deer season. It is. A lot of people don't know this. We have 600,000 people who go gun deer hunting in the state of Wisconsin. We call it the Orange Army. But that is a larger army than many small countries have of literal troops in their own armies. But the beauty of it is so many of the part-time waterfowlers are in a tree stand. It really opens up the opportunity for those streams, those lakes, and those fields to really have at it as a waterfowl hunter. It, it really does. And the other thing to look at is our waterfowl hunting is really just starting to get good at that point in time of the year as well. You know, that's when you were starting to see some northern birds come down, you know, just the way that, you know, the season has, let's just say, changed for lack of a better term because of weather. You know, that later season is now prime time for hunting ducks in Wisconsin. Yeah, you know, I don't want I don't want to totally jump into the logistics of when I don't either. <laughs> seasons are. Yeah, I know cuz it's just it's fun to just hot keep button talking. Topic. But yeah. it is a hot button topic, but a lot of people think they'd rather see that duck season and we call them the Cheeto feet cuz they come from Canada and that's when the the mallards get real orange feet. Um you know, the local birds, they have orange feet, but the real orange feet fully plumed out uh green heads, green beans, they are are coming in the late later parts of the season. And a lot of folks think, you know, it would be better if we took a longer break in the middle and kind of extended that season out a little later. You know, you work for Delta Waterfowl. Mm-hmm. Really, there's no organization that's got its finger on the pulse of actual hunters in the waterfowl industry on a nationwide basis than Delta Waterfowl. Is that something you hear as a debate in other states in this state? And I guess, what are your thoughts about this? Because I have to be honest, this and I think it had a lot to do with the drought or the drier season we had over the summer. But this season for ducks was tough. Puddle ducks and field ducks was just real tough. It was tough. And you can really just look at the weather situation. And if it doesn't get cold, um, ducks only move as far south and as quickly as they do only to find food in open water right so ducks are going to stay up in the prairie pothole region as long as they possibly can because they have more food sources than you could ever imagine in those giant prairies up there and then you throw on top of it they've got plenty of water and very little pressure it takes weather to push them down south yeah and i thought weather. that our cold fronts this year were a lot less severe than previous years you know, mm-hmm. I think in early, cause I'm a big deer hunter and deer hunters are always looking for the cold fronts. And I just remember early October, we had a couple that we got down into the forties, but you know, we didn't really get any freezing temperatures well into November, did we? No. Yeah. That's what I thought. Cause I no. don't remember ever seeing any ice on any water, even in my front yard, no. you know, Joel, so remember, you know, you and I are old enough. Remember we'd have people out ice fishing opening weekend of deer hunting. Oh yeah. When's the last time sure. you saw people out ice fishing opening weekend of deer hunting? No, it's forever ago. And my general rule used to be, Hey, in Southeastern Wisconsin, the ice is safe come January 1st. And it used to be like, well, if you wait till January 1st, you're being safe. This year, 
We didn't have ice in South, Southern Wisconsin or South Central Wisconsin on January 1st. We literally didn't have ice. It wasn't a matter of, mm-hmm. is the ice safe? We didn't have ice. I don't even think we had ice even in the central part of the state. Yeah, no. You know, it, I don't think it, we had ice up until, you know, up in Hayward, there's a little bit of ice. But I think that's the only place mm-hmm. to ice fish is way up there right now. I, listen, I was up bobcat hunting in Clam Lake, Wisconsin. It doesn't get much more north than that. And the lakes and the rivers up there were not safe to run the dogs across. So I'm going to ask it, Brad, this is a good question for you. How much, I mean, you hear this term calendar birds all the time. Calendar birds mean that migrating waterfowl is moving based on the amount of daylight to some extent. That's kind of when they get antsy and when they start pushing, pushing south. Sure. In Wisconsin, we got Mississippi on one side. We've got Lake Michigan on the other side. We've got Lake Superior to the north. And those birds follow those waterways. We're in the central flyway, right? Yep. They follow those waterways. And that's, and we've got so many puddle duck opportunities in Wisconsin with inland lakes, ponds, rivers, more than anywhere else in the country. And even if some of those dry up, and even if there are calendar birds, they're still not going to make that push until the weather pushes them, are they? No, they're not. They're here to conserve as much energy as they possibly can. They need to go south to find water and food, and then they need to be um, building energy and fat reserves and all that other good stuff that ducks do in the south so they can make that trip back north in the spring because they've got a big breeding season coming up and that takes a lot out of any animal that's going into a breeding season they need to build up those fat reserves they need to get ready for the trip north for the migration north and then when they get north um, you know, they're looking to make baby ducks. Yeah. And I think the shifting weather patterns has really been an advantage to hunting waterfowl in the Midwest, uh, because I think a lot of those birds that would go further south lately in recent years have kind of stalled here, which has been fantastic for us in the Midwest flyway this year. I just honestly think they didn't get here. No. And is that indicative or is that a bellwether for what's going to happen in the future? Or do you think that this year was an anomaly? You know, you can talk to some of the waterfowl hunters in the South. Let's just talk Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas. You know, they've been seeing this for quite some time now. Let's just say for the last several years uh, where they're not getting the birds pushing South until their seasons are closed as well. If they're even making it that far South. So is it indicative of seasons to come? I would say probably so. So is there a real argument for a push to, to move the seasons later, to move the duck season later? I mean, yes. you know, Delta Waterfowl, uh, much to their credit, you know, I represent uh, Safari Club International, uh, whitetails and game preserves. Um, you represent Delta Waterfowl. I mean, we as sporting heritage groups kind of have to have our hands uh, on the pulse of what is coming legislatively. And a lot of these things have to be done legislatively. Is this something we should actually take a look at? Is it legitimate or should we kind of just stick with the seasons we've got? You know, um, and this is just my personal opinion because we've got some great policy guys on our team that handle all that legislative stuff. That's way over my head. So I'm just going to give you my personal opinion on this. I certainly think that there's a time 
to start looking at maybe changing some seasons and dates and things like that. I would say here in Wisconsin all day long, I would I would love to see us open up a little bit later, but then you're going to run into the folks that want to get out and get those wood ducks that, you know, typically are the first birds out of here, but maybe it's just a, a bigger gap in the middle of the season or something. But um, There could be multiple splits too. Yeah. I mean, I think we only currently have one split. I don't understand why. I mean, I guess my again, my personal opinion would be to have another split and let us hunt a little bit later. I don't think people mind taking a little bit of a break. No, I don't do it right over deer season. How, yeah, <laughs> no, and that's what, and, and that's an interesting idea because how many times have you? No, that's when I get to be on the fields that everyone else has permission for, and nobody's there is during deer season. Mm-hmm. Well, there's always this question about safety on public land when there's guys duck hunting and there's guys deer hunting. Those duck hunters aren't wearing blaze orange and those deer hunters are wearing blaze orange. That's a safety issue. So why not work with that and have that break be somewhere in that time, you know, and allow that to, uh, that safety issue to no longer be an issue. Well, I'm going to bring just a a hair of devil's advocacy here to it because in every year uh, with the Conservation Congress and the polls they take, every year the vast majority of people say keep the seasons the same. And I think there are times when people get resistant to change just for the sake of being resistant to change versus something that might end up faring better for everyone. Because I'm going to tell you this year, uh, a lot of my field hunting for ducks just never got good. And every past year I've had those days and you got to hit them right. You mm-hmm. know, where those tornadoes of mallards are coming in mixed with maybe widgeon or, or some teal. And you got that rare chance at, you know, some green and blue wings at the same time, you've got chance for those beautifully plumed out green heads. But this year it just didn't happen. And guess what? Two days after close in one of my fields, I'm watching tornadoes of ducks yep. thinking, man, I wish we could have had a longer split or a different split or an additional split just to stretch that out. Because for those of us that waterfowl hunting is life and turkey hunting is life, those few days do make a difference. And I think if you're not going, obviously there are biologists who figure out if you're going to hurt the resource and we never want to hurt the resource. But in all reality, if you're not going to do that, I don't see a problem with shifting those, those timeframes slightly to make just for some better hunting. Mm -hmm. And I think, and this is one of the, I wanted to talk to you about this, Brad, you know, Delta waterfowl plays a large role in not only education, but part participation in government and participation in what hunters want and need to continue a constitutionally protected right in the state of Wisconsin and in surrounding states. But how frustrating is it to you? Because it's frustrating to me that hunters are so politically inactive when it comes down to actually getting out and voting and actually participating in the processes which govern what they love to do. Well, I would have to say that not every hunter is rabid and avid as the three of us in this room right now. No question. De- Jack so, is definitely rabid. I right. Would not, <laughs> so I would not get close. So for your average hunter, it's not a priority. It's not something they've got their finger on the pulse of on a day by day 
you know, week by week type deal. And so it's just not top of mind for them. So for us, you know, we try to make that top of mind for our members and our supporters. We've got a whole system, uh, an alert system where if there's something going on within a state and we have an email address for someone, a waterfowl hunter, we'll send out an action alert. But we know we only have so many emails and so many people that belong to the organization. So we can be, we can be effective. But those are also probably some of your more, you know, ardent waterfall hunters as well. So they probably know all this and they're keeping their fingers on the pulse of it. Yeah. And I get that. And, and that's right. And that's your job as senior marketing director for Delta Waterfall is investment in people who are going to invest back, whether that be monetarily or with their time or with their energy or with their desire. Right. Yep. But I'm, I'm sitting here next. Jack, I'm going to ask you, do you vote in every election? Everyone. Everyone. Do you know? how rare that is to be a hunter. I mean, hunters as a group vote and participate in government less than everybody else, than just about everybody else. And I don't understand it because even if you're not completely involved in something, or even if waterfowl is something you do as a hobby rather than a passion, I still don't understand not having your voice be heard in that way. And that's something we have to be better at. Well, I think it definitely goes like kind of going off of what you're saying with conviction around it. I mean, we, us three hunt a lot compared to, I would say the average waterfowl hunter or, or even hunter in the state of Wisconsin. And just the conviction around how much, I mean, how many people are going to go out and vote because of issues involving hunting. There's just a, such a gap in the people that are really, really into it. You know, and the people that do it, they go to the same duck spot for opening day, you know, because a lot of people don't have the time to scout and the time to do the things that we do to be able to hunt all the time, if that yeah. makes sense. No, it, mm-hmm. it does make sense. But I do also think that in some ways it's generational. And I'm not putting anyone on the spot here. And I, you know, Brad's here and, and his lovely wife is here. And I'm going to guess they're younger than me just based on his wife. Um, but <laughs> Jack, you're substantially younger than us. You're the next generation below my generation. Would you, you're a millennial, right? Yes. I don't know what I'm, I'm 1996. I'm I want to label you, Jack. I want to label you. As I, I want to be labeled. So please. So, <laughs> but how many of the guys that you and I hunt with in their mid twenties to, to 30 years old just don't, I mean, they're passionate about waterfall, but hunting. they don't know what's going on to make it the sport better or to, or, or to adapt to the changes that are happening. So is it incumbent upon us as serious waterfowlers and as serious hunters well, yeah, I mean, to they be have, more active and to push them into that? They have all these, you know, they have public forums that you can go to and talk about the duck seasons, have your voice be heard. And you don't, you don't see young people there. You see a lot of older people there. You see a lot, I mean, not as old as Joel, but old people. Wow. Um, Ouch. You see a lot of old. I know, it's tough to look at this young, handsome face and think it's as old as it is. I understand, Jack. But you just don't see as many young people there having their voice be heard. And and those are the people that are going to be hunting for the next 60 years. You know, not to say that you're not going to live a lot longer, Joel, but how old are you? Uh, uh, you can just, make a hundred. Just turned thirty-eight. No, you did not. But you can hit a hundred. But <laughs> you know what? What I'm trying to say is, the young people are going to be the people that are going to be using this resource for the longest time. And I think an opportunity that goes missed there is when you go to an event like the Wisconsin Waterfowl Association 
convention, uh, you know, their one day expo, which is hopefully going to become two day expos. The foul working life, on it, working on it, working on it. Yeah. The foul life is there. Delta waterfowl is there. And I think, and we're starting to see more and more younger hunters and we can't ignore, uh, women hunters, which is the fastest growing group of new hunters. And what they don't realize very often, I see it on their face. You show up at these waterfowl expos, you can meet Chad Belding. You can talk to Fred Zink. You can talk to some of these folks who are essentially the godfathers of the goose and duck call and watch the seminars and see how to turn something into table fare that everybody's going to love. And I think once you have that connection, and I'm fearful to say that social media and the three by seven inch that we're all staring at all day long has gotten in the way of 3D real interaction with real people and some of the connections. And I think that's something Delta Waterfowl is really great at reinvigorating. And I think it's something they're focused on reinvigorating. Yeah, I would say absolutely. You know, when we put together uh, the Duck Hunters Expo, you know, we uh, last two years in, in Little Rock, and then uh, this next year we'll be in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. You know, we're putting uh, roughly twenty five thousand people through that event in a three day weekend, and it's really fun to see. It's a family event. You know, we let kids sixteen under in for free. We don't want any hindrance for people for bringing the whole family down. So mom's there, dad's there. They've got four or five kids in tow along with them, and they get to see, like you mentioned all these people that are involved in the waterfowl world and, you know, people they see on TV or, or what have you. And, you know, just have those conversations with those folks and, and just learn more about why we're all so passionate about what we do. Um, and that's duck hunt, right? And I'm going to just go off on another tangent here, a whole nother deal from what you just mentioned is we've got a program called University Hunt Program where we're trying to get people within the universities, within these wildlife universities to um, become hunters. So I'm 56 years old. I just said it. Um, 56 <laughs> oh years old. Jig is up. So when I grew up. How did up, you get a wife 20 years younger than you? That's what I want to know. Elfin magic. <laughs> Well, I'll buy it. So, uh, so the long and the short of it is, is when I was growing up, everybody that went into uh, wildlife, whether they were a big game biologist, where they were a waterfowl biologist, a fish biologist, a conservation officer, all those people hunted and fished, right? Every yep. single one yes. of them. You know what it is now? Thirty percent of the people that are going into those positions. Wow. Hunt and fish. That's crazy. And these are people that are young folks that are excited about wildlife, but they really don't understand, A, where their paycheck's coming from because- you know, you know who's paying that paycheck. Hunters and fishermen are. That's right. And and they don't understand why we're so passionate about what we love. And that's waterfowl hunting, fishing, deer hunting, you name it. So what we do is we started this out probably about three, four years ago, four years ago now. And we were in nine different universities. And we take these people that have never hunted before out. We take them through their um, hunter safety program. We take them to the range. We take them out on their first hunt. Then we show them how to clean and cook the birds. It's awesome. And, you know, these are people that have never done it before. And they may never hunt again, but that's okay. They at least have a better understanding of why we love it so much. So when they're making those decisions as to whether it's bag limits, seasons, uh, what have you, um, they'll at least have some sort of knowledge about really what we care about. It's pretty cool. Not only is it cool, and not only does that give them an understanding about why we're out there, but on one of the most contentious ends of it, 
it gives them a different perspective when they become a warden and they're walking into the field as to whether they're going to understand and maybe give the benefit of the doubt on something on a gray area versus going into the field without the understanding of what a hunter is and ticketing someone or going out with the purpose of giving a ticket versus the purpose of understanding the situation. Or educating. Or educating. Yeah. Because excellent point. Excellent. Yeah. That's that's an excellent point because they have an educational opportunity there. But I'm here to tell you, as much as you can write a book on regulations that's as thick as the Bible, and you will have gray areas when you're hunting. There are gray areas when you're hunting, and I don't mean there are gray areas in the law. What I mean is there are gray areas on, in people's perceptions as to what certain things mean. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here's an example. Last week, uh, the Wisconsin season was on its last day, and there's a five goose limit at the end of the season for Wisconsin. There's a three goose limit in Illinois. So I hunted in the morning and got three geese. Labeled in them Illinois. In Illinois. Labeled them, put them in my freezer, and my buddy called and said, hey, do you want to come and sit out with me? I'm sitting out for the last uh, night of Wisconsin season. So I called a warden and said, how does that bag limit work? How does that bag limit possession limit work? The warden called me back not only two days later, so it didn't necessarily <laughs> didn't affect that hunt, but he called me back and he was very cordial about it. And at the end of the conversation, literally said, you know, I'm going to have to figure that out because I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if you can get three birds in Illinois and only two more in Wisconsin or three birds in Illinois and five birds in Wisconsin. So there are areas that are still questionable when when you're doing this. So, yeah, exactly. So he didn't even know the answer to that question. And for people like us who are fortunate enough to be able to travel around the United States. So let's just say I have a license in Wisconsin. I have a license in Manitoba. I have a license in Saskatchewan. I have a license in Utah. What's my possession limit? Right. Is Do I get a possession limit for each state? I'm still trying to figure it out because I tried to research it. Jack and I tried to research it on yeah. the internet and it's virtually impossible to tell the answer to that. So uh, my point here is not that the rules aren't written in black and white. Mm-hmm. They are. It's a matter. And and I think one of the frustrating things that I think programs like your university program help is the fact that you start to learn that those people who are committed to the resource and committed to hunting to eat like my family is. Mm-hmm. My wife had cancer at age 35. We eat wild game for dinner because it's an organic protein source. If we're committed to doing that, we're out there trying to do the right thing. We're never out there trying to do the wrong thing. And I think when wardens yes. or law enforcement or those who set the rules understand that, they come from a different perspective. And what you mentioned about 30% going into those biologies being hunters and fishermen compared to a higher percentage before, I think what's even potentially as tragic as that is how few actual hunters there are in legislative bodies that make the laws which govern us. Mm-hmm. I yep. can count five or six hunters in the entire Wisconsin legislature. That's hard to believe. I, that, I mean, diehard hunters. There's yeah. probably a few more sure. who sit in a tree stand or maybe go out for the gun season. But very often, something that sounds like a great idea may not be ferreted out. And so I think that's why groups like Delta and other groups are absolutely integral in the educational aspect of it. Because 
Without the education, there's no path to move forward on making sure the resource is protected at the same time that the rights in a state like Wisconsin, which has a constitutional right to hunt and fish, are protected as well. We're going to break here for a few commercials. I appreciate y'all being here. The real orange feet, fully plumed out, green heads, green beans, they are coming in the late, later parts of the season. Are mild winters and delayed cold weather events changing waterfowl patterns? This season for ducks was tough. Ducks only move as far south and as quickly as they do, only to find food in open water. So ducks are going to stay up in the prairie pothole region as long as they possibly can. It takes weather to push them down south. The Fowl Life's Midwest series is made possible by Avery Outdoors, Traeger Grills, American Almond Beef, and Jack Links, Joel Clayfish, and the guys will return after the break. Stick around. This season went by so fast. It was a different season. It was weird. The migration was slow. But all I can think about are the good times, the high fives, the smiles, and my Benelli's. I absolutely love having a Benelli by my side. I mainly shoot the Super Black Eagle 3 and 12 gauge left-handed, 26-inch barrel. I know that they have the M2 left-handed 20 gauge waiting for me in the truck when we're in the flooded timber. And I can't wait for the future to see where this SBE3 line goes. So far, the 20 gauge, the 28 gauge, and the right-handed models, you can't go wrong with Benelli. It truly is simply perfect. It is the best waterfowling duck and goose hunting gun on the planet. There's not a second. The Super Black Eagle 3 Series in 12 gauge, 20 gauge, and 28 gauge. I'm telling you, get one in your hands. Make sure that you can depend on your firearm. And that's exactly what Benelli is. It's totally reliable, simply perfect for the duck and goose hunter. I can't wait for next season. I'm Chad Belding with the Fowl Life Television. Thank you, Benelli. Looking for a high-quality truck accessory that's built to last? Look no further than Lear. With over 50 years of experience in the industry, these guys know what it takes to make your ride look and performance best. Whether you're looking for a fiberglass or aluminum cap, a hard or soft cover, or accessories to customize your truck, Lear's got you covered. Their products are made with only the best materials, and their innovative features provide added convenience and security for truck owners. Head over to Lear.com to explore their range of products and take your driving experience to the next level. I absolutely love the state of Wisconsin. The entire state is full of outdoor activities, hunting, bears, deer, turkeys, ducks, geese. The fishing is unbelievable. The perch, the walleye, the fish fries, the cheese curds, the entire mentality. They roll out the red carpet and treat us like we are one of their own. We travel to Wisconsin several times a year, chasing the migration, chasing wild turkeys, chasing the walleye, chasing that Friday night fish fry. And I'm telling you, you have to visit Wisconsin for your next outdoor excursion. Get with an outfitter up there. Contact us. Travel Wisconsin is the bureau that is making sure Wisconsin's stays in the limelight of everything outdoors. This state has so much to offer. I'm telling you, it is beautiful. It's not what you see when you watch a Milwaukee Bucks game or a Green Bay Packers game or a Milwaukee Brewers game. I love all the sports. I love Bob Uecker, but I absolutely love everything outdoors that the state of Wisconsin has to offer. Get up there. Visit TravelWisconsin.com. Tell them that the Foul Life crew sent you. We can't wait to be back up in the Cheesehead State eating some curds at that fish fry, checking out a brewery or catching a walleye at the end of our line travel wisconsin we are teamed up with them for the next couple years it's going to be an awesome partnership thank you all very much for visiting wisconsin 
We are in and out of our gun safes all year round. Whether it's trap shooting, clay shooting, practicing for the upcoming duck season, our rifles, our shotguns, our muzzle loaders, our handguns, we depend on Secure It to store our firearms year round in our shops, our garages, our trailers while we're on the road. Their fast box mentality in our house gives us the advantage to protect our families, to protect our dwellings. And that's exactly what the Second Amendment is all about. It's not about showing off our gun safe. It's about being accessible and safe. And that's exactly what Secure It does. It gives us the advantage on a daily basis. I believe in Secure It. Everything that the brand is building, I can't wait for the future. Check them out at secureitgunstorage.com. You cannot go wrong with their storage systems for all of your firearms. Tell them Chad Belling and the Foul Life Crew sent you. Thank you very much. Hunting puts you directly in the full circle of life. I don't think enough people who don't hunt don't fully understand how much we care about this resource. That's an excellent point. There's nothing in the world that satisfies the full circle of life than pursuing something, hunting it, taking it to the table, and feeding your family with it. It really is an awesome thing, and that's why the provider lifestyle field to table is so important to me. The Foul Life's Midwest Series with host Joel Clayfish is proudly brought to you by Safari Club International, Vortex Optics and Realtree Camouflage. Let's get back to the boys. You know, one of the neat things about our organization is, is we pride ourselves in claiming we are the duck hunters organization. We don't run away from it. We are an organization made up of duck hunters. And so one of the, the really neat things that our policy guys do is, you know, we view ourselves as advocates for duck hunters. And so We'll go into, let's just say there was um, the Susquehanna Flats in uh, on the East Coast. It was and is a big, huge waterfowl area, right? And so the city board was looking to change the city limits. So what would happen was those flats would no longer be able to be hunted. And so, you know, that affects a few That's duck horrible. hunters, right? But we went in. We worked with our local chapters, our local volunteers, and our members in the area, and we got that stopped. That's pretty cool. Another thing we did then, as far as the policy was concerned, here's another big obstacle to getting more hunters out in the woods and in marsh now is access. So U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service came to Delta Waterfowl and said, hey, if we're going to open up some refuges for waterfowl hunting, let us know which ones you would recommend. And the really cool thing is they use the vast majority of our recommendations to open up refuges and increase access for waterfowl hunters. So when I go back to the advocacy point of it is the stuff we did on uh, Susquehanna Flats was a really big win for those guys hunting that specific area. Big win or little win for duck hunters, big win for all duck hunters. And then you look at the stuff that we did with our input on opening up the refuges, Really big win for those folks in that refuge area, but it's also a really big win for all waterfowl hunters. So it's pretty important to be an advocate for duck hunters, regardless of it's a small deal or if it's a big deal as far as opening up a refuge. Yeah. What would you say, Brad, is the biggest thing that separates Delta waterfowl from all the rest of the outdoor groups? You know... I would have to say just the fact that we are the duck hunters organization and we don't run away from that. Um, if it doesn't benefit the duck hunter, we don't do it. But then I can also tell you that, you know, we started out back in 1911 and that's a long, long time ago. And um, we've always been a very science-based organization. And so um, we base the work that we do and the programs that we're involved in 
on science. So there's a lot of research, you know, 30 years worth of research went into our hen houses, 30 years research went into our predator management tactics. Um, you know, the science is there. If the science is there, we're able to do it intelligently. How did you end up hooking up with the fowl life and Chad and me and Anna? How did that ever happen? That Delta waterfowl began a relationship with Wisconsin waterfowl association with the fowl life. And where do you see that going? You know, the crazy thing is, is um, it really all started uh, with Anna. Chad and I have known each other and been pretty good acquaintances for some time. And we were down in uh, Nashville area um, working with a local uh, sponsor that we both have, great folks at Yukonuba. And so we we're there for a Yukonuba event. We're learning all about the new Yukonuka products and how well they work for your dogs and such. And then Anna was there as well. And we were sitting around just chatting one night. And uh, Anna came up to me and said, hey, Brad, I want to do something to get more women involved in waterfall. I'm like, okay, let's do it. And she's like, what? I'm like, let's do it. (laughs) And uh, so many times what you want to accomplish out there is a matter of just asking, because if you don't ask, the answer is always no. Yep. And she's like, well, you're the first person that ever said that to me. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And so um, we started off that program um, uh, last fall, and I know she's taking it to a whole nother level. And so that's really where it's all kicked off. And And it just blows my mind, the symbiosis between organizations and like-minded people, because that's how that started. Here now, uh, you know, I get to host the the Fowl Life Midwest, and you and I and Anna are up here pheasant hunting at Milford Hills down the street. And all of a sudden, the people you know are connected to the people I know. You're sitting here on the podcast, and we're working with you with the state of Wisconsin and Travel Wisconsin, and we're shooting an episode of the Fowl Life Together. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely crazy. Explore the people you know and ask. Don't be afraid to ask. And if you're in waterfowl, the best way to advance your enjoyment in it is to ask people and talk to other people about it. I mean, Jack, I don't even remember how you and I first met, but it was in a goose field. It was in a, were we fighting over it or did we no, land on no, the same team? No, 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 we were on the same, we were on the same team that time. <laughs> well, that's good because I'm Excellent. too old to fight anymore. I don't fight over fields. You're a lover, not a fighter. I don't no. sleep, mm-hmm. that's for sure. I don't sleep on fields anymore either. That'll no. tell you. I gotta, be, I have to be in my bed. But Brad, having said that, where do we go from here? I guess, I mean, you're the marketing, you're the senior mm-hmm. marketing director. What's it going to take to get people off their phones and to get them out into the marshes? What is the key to marketing to the next generation and to future generations? Because the reality of it is hunting numbers are still going down. What's it going to take? Well, I wish I had the answer to that question. I don't know exactly what it's going to take. And that's a question that every state in the country is asking. Every uh, game and fish department in the country is asking that same question uh, because, you know, those, for lack of a better term in Wisconsin, we call it the DNR, Department of Natural Resources. You know, the vast majority of their budget comes from hunting and fishing licenses. And if we're losing hunters and fishermen, pretty soon those agencies will not be able to be funded by the sources that they're coming from, you know, the licenses that they're selling right now. And they're going to have to figure that out just as much as we are because uh, it's their livelihoods are based on it. And well, I guess ours are as well. They don't, I don't think the average person realizes how many things Pittman Robertson fund and how many things that the duck stamp and how many things that our licenses support everything from, you know, the glacial drumlin trails to the fish hatcheries to the pheasant breeding programs. 
to just maintaining wetlands throughout the state. So maybe that's a better question for Jack. What's it going to take to get your generation off the cell phone and into the woods? I think it's accessibility. I think uh, Brad talked about it earlier is just having more accessible opportunities to be able to hunt. I mean, I feel like it's a little bit hard. It's getting harder and harder to get permission to hunt on private land. At least that's what I've noticed. Um, and I'm only hunting, I mean, I hunt all over the United States, but as far as where I'm scouting and trying to get permission, you know, in southern Wisconsin and northern Illinois, it seems like it's becoming harder and harder to get permission. And we all talk about it where it all it takes is one bad incident to have a farmer just lock his land down, no hunting. Yeah, or um, a live shell goes through his combine and yep. breaks the combine or mm-hmm. something like that. I, I think I think you're hitting on something and that is diligence of your responsibility when you're on private land. Yeah, no, definitely. And then also respecting it, you know, and not creating... I think a lot of times I'll find, I'll ask a farmer actually just last week, um, and he said, yeah, we used to let a bunch of guys hunt out here um, and they were getting along and then they didn't get along and now I just said nobody gets to hunt out here. So it's also just getting along with the other people that are hunting i mean if somebody beats you to the spot great let them have the spot yeah, let, let them have, have the spot if, if someone wants to spend the night in the field because they want to hunt that in the morning more power to them you know you've got to have multiple options if you want to hunt that bad but also just getting along with the people not causing feuds between hunting groups invite the other hunting group with you you know why not join groups i find so much right now or when we're hunting even joel you know that there's other groups that want to be hunting the same stuff that we're hunting and you know funny enough you said the other day well why don't you just invite them you know and that's where you make some of your best friends um you know a guy who i used to um you know not want to hunt with and kind of compete so to speak for different properties you know i hunted hunted with them a few times the past few years now we're really good friends and we use that as a resource to hunt together you know and hey do you have permission on this field oh we should hunt it together yeah and that's all fine and dandy but i'm talking about the vast majority of your friends in your age group who don't hunt who don't even know i mean maybe they had parents who hunted a mom or a dad and they're just like nah i'd rather play mortal Kombat or whatever the yeah i think if we we, (laughs) i'm probably that's probably something in the 90s i think if we had the answer to that then you know that wouldn't be a problem but i think it's just really hard as far as accessibility and i think i think it takes us who are young people and our hunters bringing our friends because the good thing the one good thing about social media and the accessibility of media is it's so much easier to learn how to do something Way than easier. it ever used to mm-hmm. be. And I think your average hunter is more than happy to teach someone how to hunt. They just need to find the avenue of where do I find this person? And I know the state of Wisconsin has some great mentor hunt opportunities. You know, I've been wanting to do that for several years. I have never done it, though. I mean, how hard can it be? Let's hook me up with somebody. I want to teach them how to deer hunt because it's easy to do. And you did make the offer to take the Fowl Life crew turkey hunting now. So that is going to happen. So we're pretty pretty excited about that. (laughs) I'm excited about that because we're going to get everybody on the same week and we're going to get uh, chad belding and some of his good friends up here uh to the midwest to do some turkey hunting this spring and that's 
That's going to be great. I'm not going to promise giant dead birds within the first 10 minutes, but we have a pretty phenomenal uh, resource in Wisconsin when it comes to turkey hunting. And See, now don't let that out. Okay. We're going to hunt in Illinois. Never mind. What, you got some <laughs> spots in Illinois for us to turkey hunt, Jack? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. He's got that covered. He's got the state line covered, too. Um, you know, one of the things we're working on, I want to talk about it a little bit. We did a whole podcast on it, and that is that we've teamed up to work on moving toward a Sandhill Crane hunting season in the state of Wisconsin. And uh, Safari Club International just wrote a fantastic letter. Um, Delta Waterfall's really been at the base of this. Yeah, you've been Cyrus working with Cyrus Baird, haven't yeah, you, awesome. on the, for the state? Yep. So how important is it, do you think, in maintaining interest or at least gaining interest uh, in waterfall hunting in the state? How important really is it to have a Sandhill Crane Hunt? Is that something that matters or is that just something tangential, tangential that waterfallers would like to see added here as it's now a part of hunts in other states? I think of the latter. Um, I don't think you're going to bring in any new hunters because they want to hunt sandhill cranes. I think, um, you know, your average Joe waterfowl hunter would love to be out and, and chasing sandhill cranes in the state of Wisconsin. There's thousands and thousands of them. It's unbelievable, you know, and it's crazy because, you know, once again, I'm dating myself, but when I was growing up, I grew up in Green Lake, Wisconsin. I grew up in the Horicon Zone, Horicon Marsh, right? The Horicon Zone, which does not exist anymore. It doesn't, yes. but growing up, you had to apply to get a goose tag so you can shoot one goose a year in the Horicon Zone. One that's a year. A, Jack's sitting there like, no way. I'm like, yes. A year? A year. You could get one tag and you had to put this big sticker around the goose's neck that stuck to all its feathers and everything. There's no way you're going to get another one of them. You got <laughs> one a year. And look, what do we get to do now? Five a day in the late yeah. season here? Yeah, three that's a day, crazy. five a day one in a the year? season, one a year. Imagine that, just going out and hunting. Well, I got my goose. Yeah. I'm done for it's, the year. It's crazy. It'd be it's, pretty special. I bet yeah, nobody, be special- I would say, I bet nobody would say goose tastes like crap when they only get no. one a year. No, they wouldn't. <laughs> but it goes to the Sandhill Crane deal. Because I remember growing up, and we used to, as part of our biology class in Green Lake, Wisconsin, we would have to... Uh, or we would go out and do a crane count, you know, and there'd be people all over the county trying to count pairs of cranes in the early mornings. And now there's just, there's, it's awesome. There's just cranes everywhere. It's really neat to see. It's, it's just crazy how wildlife just thrives when they're given the opportunity. And, and that also means there's an opportunity to manage that as well. Yeah. And I think, to be honest with you, I think once people taste it, once uh, Sandhill Crane becomes table fare, I think that will literally in itself be reason for some people to want to hunt because it is literally that tasty of a resource. Little, little Sandhill Crane pastrami, it'd be pretty Ooh, tasty. That is good. The ribeye of the sky got in trouble. And you know, Jack, I don't, I don't think Jack even realizes this, but going back to what you said, I was the lead author of uh, rescinding the call in for geese and the punch tag used to be in wisconsin you shot a goose you had to punch your tag before you touched it mm-hmm. then you had to call it in within 24 hours and just if you like didn't a deer do both if you didn't do both they could test your punch tag against your call in and you could get a ticket and now both of those are gone because we have a manageable resource that's thriving and i think at the end of the day it's because of the work of the people like the wisconsin waterfall association delta waterfall and hunters and, and hunters and the, and the money the that hunters put into conservation. We need to, to tell this story from the mountaintops and we just have a hard enough time doing it. But 
hunters are the best conservationists out there. We wouldn't have the wildlife populations today that we have if it wasn't for the hunter. And I don't know why we have to be so shy about telling that story, but... Well, and I think that's one of the things actually that sets Delta apart. They're not ashamed and they're not shy about explaining to people what they actually are. Nope, not at all. Yeah. You know, you look at Pittman Robinson, you know, that's a bill that was voted in by hunters to tax themselves to benefit wildlife. Yeah, that's crazy. And I think I've said this before, too, and I really think that this is an opportunity for us. I think the future is an opportunity because right now, this in our lifetimes, in my 52 years on this earth, this is the pinnacle of protein being understood as the healthiest diet. You've got the keto diet and the paleo diet and protein. We're learning natural organic protein is the very best thing human beings can put in their body. So get this. I'm going back to the university hunt program. About three years ago, we took six gals out from the University of Colorado who have never hunted before, and they had a cosmic goose hunt. I mean, the stuff that the three of us this year dream about. It was that good of a hunt. Feet down, beat down. It was unbelievable. I wasn't there. I just only heard the stories. But the coolest thing that came out of that story was two of the gals that went on that hunt were vegans. (laughs) Okay, and they, <laughs> okay I'm, uh, now you've piqued my interest. Where's this going? The two gals on that hunt were vegans. And you may understand this being in the younger generation. Jack, but being I don't a get vegan it. yourself. I'm no, not a vegan. no, no. <laughs> being much younger than I. It wasn't that they didn't like eating meat. They didn't like not knowing where their meat was coming from. Hmm. And they have since become avid waterfowl hunters. They've taken big game. They're full-blown hunters now. Wow. Isn't that awesome? That is awesome. There is nothing better. And I tell people this all the time. I mean, you know, we changed massive laws in Wisconsin, the mentored hunting bill, being able to take someone hunting before they even have to have their hunter's safety, get them that experience. And there's no better feeling for me. I don't ever need to pull the trigger. If I'm with somebody else and they're getting their first harvest, their first kill, that's more exciting to me than getting the kill myself anymore. And I think that's where the future of this is going. And I think the opportunity that is in front of us right now, more than ever before with organic protein being the basis of so many diets is that this is our time to catch the left as it circles around the back, because we're seeing so many formerly people opposed to hunting starting to say this is a resource that is conserved and we can utilize it to put food on our tables from an organic resource. So they're starting to see the joy and the beauty and the wonder of hunting as a way to put it there, to know where their food source is coming from. And I think your story is exactly what we're talking about when we say that. So I think we have a real opportunity here. So where do you think we're at with that? I mean, upper Midwest here, what states can you hunt sandhill cranes in currently? Minnesota, I believe you can up in the, the north. I think you can up Wasn't in the north. Wasn't it 15? We looked it up northeast. last time when we were on that. Yeah, that, I think uh, it's 15 now. Okay. But it's spreading. Yep. Yeah. So this is a, a, the Fowl Life Midwest podcast. What can we do in the state of Wisconsin for all those waterfowl hunters listening in today? What can we do to help move this sandhill crane hunt forward? 17 states. 
Yeah, well, I think that people need to let their legislators know where they're coming from. Farmers call them sowing machines. They pick out the seed before the plant ever grows. All I have an adage, and I don't know if it's true, but I say all farmers hate farmers hate all animals except the ones they own, right? Because all the, the wildlife is damaging their crops. No one, no animal does more damage to crops than sandhill cranes. Hmm. So we've got the farmers on our side, but what it's going to take is a change in the social moray of it. Uh, Wisconsin has the National International Crane Foundation mm-hmm. here. There's a social moray to hunting a crane. And I think what we need, and back to education, it's going to take an understanding that this is an exploding resource that will eventually start to harm itself in its numbers. When a a species becomes overpopulated, it's susceptible to disease, lack of nutrients, starvation. And I think that's something that even those who love sandhill cranes, and I do, I love them on the landscape, Mm -hmm. will understand that to keep a healthy resource, Source, it does have to be managed. You know that you mentioned that you you love sandhill cranes, and I do as well. I think they're, they're beautiful, really cool. It's so neat how loud too. Yeah, they're loud. <laughs> how, <laughs> but how in the spring they're that just that golden orangish brown color, and then in the fall they're a totally different color. Yes. That really neat gray color, um, a really neat bird, and that's one thing that I think people who don't hunt don't understand that we really truly do love these animals that we're out spending so much time with, whether it's a duck, whether it's a turkey, whether it's a deer, whether it's a crane, we love them. And we're fortunate enough to hunt probably most that more than most folks are, but you know, most people are out spending a few times out in the woods a year and they love these animals and they love to be able to see them. And, but they also love to be able to take one now and again and, and eat them because they're, they're delicious and they're good for you. And yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's just, I don't think enough people who don't hunt don't fully understand how much we care about this resource. There's nothing in the world that satisfies the full circle of life uh, than pursuing something, hunting it, taking it to the table and feeding your family with it. That is the one of the most satisfying understandings of the circle of life that I've ever had. And I don't mean to Are, are you going to say Akuna Matata? I don't mean, mean to wax Lion King on us, but <laughs> it really is an awesome, it really is an awesome thing. And that, you know, that's why the provider lifestyle field to table is so important to me. And I love it. And I couldn't think of a better way to end the podcast, guys. Thank you for being here, Brad Heidel, Senior Director of Marketing for Delta Waterfowl, Jack Klobuchar, my buddy and uh, pro staff for the Fowl Life Midwest. We'll see you next time on the Fowl Life Podcast Midwest Series. I'm Joel Clayfish. We'll catch you later. Hunters are the best conservationists out there. We wouldn't have the wildlife populations today that we have if it wasn't for the hunter. Hunting is conservation, and hunters are invested in the future of all wildlife. We need to tell this story from the mountaintops. You look at Pittman Robinson. You know, that's a bill that was voted in by hunters to tax themselves to benefit wildlife. Federal Premium Black Cloud, Kershaw Knives, Corning Ford, and Bandit Brands proudly support the Fowl Life's Midwest Series with Joel Clayfish. Don't go anywhere because Joel, Brad, and Jack will be right back to wrap the show. Hang on. The Pecos mentality, living off the land, scouting these birds, hunting them hard, being ethical, clean, harvestable shots, the calling, the dog work, the decoys, the concealment. 
everything that goes into it. And then the butchering, the processing, the bounty, being around a table with friends and family. That's what Pecos Outdoors stands for. We're honored to be part of the Pecos family. Bone appetit and let's celebrate the hunt together. Having storage when it comes to our bounty, whether we're on a duck hunt, a goose hunt, an upland hunt, fishing trip, we rely on gator coolers. They're coolers, the different sizes, the different models. You need one on wheels because you're carrying a little bit more weight. You need a 45 quart, a 70 quart, 110 quart, smaller ones like the 20 quart. Do you need a personalized pad, a customized pad on top with your logo? What about their drinkware, their tumblers, their thermoses, all of their highball cups, their coffee cups, their wine cups gator coolers louisiana brian mcgee g-a-t-r coolers.com no o in there gator g-a-t-r we depend on them daily you got to make sure that you're prepared you got to condition that cooler right crosby gotta have a good cooler people that say you can use them other ones still no i don't think that you can use the other ones that aren't the rotomolded molded style and gator coolers is far ahead of the curve check them out at gatorcoolers.com get into their drinkware to their coolers get into their customized pads and don't forget gator skin for your boat your ski boat your summer boat your duck boat all of our gator tail boats have the gator skin in them by gator coolers and i'm telling you it's customized it's comfortable it doesn't rot it doesn't fade it's got our company logos and branding a lot of different designs you can do check out the new gator skin by gator coolers the official cooler and drinkware of the foul life tv the foul life podcast and where the pavement ends podcast and tv thank you all very much for supporting gator coolers We started American Almond Beef with the mentality to be different, to set ourselves apart, and that's the road that we're on. Our feedlots are clean. Our feed is different. Our approach to making sure that our cattle and steers are raised right. There is a story behind American Almond Beef. Northern California ranchers and farmers, the almonds, the commodity business, everything coming together to provide a feed that allows for this marbling, the flavor, the texture, the finish. American Almond Beef is where it's at. I'm telling you, get an order placed, try it for yourself, and you will not go back to regular store-bought beef. AmericanAlmondBeef.com. Thank you very much for the support. We can't wait for you to try it. That's a wrap for this episode of the Foul Life's Midwest Series with Joel Clayfish. Thank you for being here, Brad Heidel, Senior Director of Marketing for Delta Waterfowl, Jack Klobuchar, my buddy and uh, pro staff for the Foul Life Midwest. We'll see you next time on the Foul Life Podcast Midwest Series. I'm Joel Clayfish. We'll catch you later. Stay up to date and informed with all things outdoors in Wisconsin by listening to the Foul Life's Midwest Series with host Joel Clayfish on SoundCloud, iHeart, Spotify, thefowllife.com, or wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening.